Welcome to the Unapologetically Fueled podcast, where we talk nutrition, identity, performance, and the psychology behind it all. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I have a very special guest today. I have Brooke. Um, Brooke is awesome, and I'm so excited to hear all from her today, but I want to let you do most of the introduction today. So um, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself. Yes, for sure. So I'm Brooke. Um, I'm 24 years old and I'm originally from Georgia and long story short, I just moved to Connecticut from Charleston, South Carolina. So I've been all over the place the past few years. My husband is in the Navy and I have a five month old baby girl. She turned five months yesterday, actually. Yeah. And besides that, um, relating to nutrition, I just graduated with my master's in applied clinical nutrition in August. And my niche or area of interest is specifically female sports nutrition. I'm very passionate about eating disorders as well. And then related to running, I ran cross country um, division two in college and still trying to get back into it. I had a hip surgery a few years back, but running still has my heart. Um, but then to deal with injuries, I found spinning and now I'm a spin instructor and also training to be a yoga instructor as well. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. You have such a cool story. Your runner went through hip surgery, which I'm so sorry about. Was that a fracture? So it's actually this thing um, called femoral acetabular impingement. So basically I was born with mild hip dysplasia and running kind of exacerbated that and um, the surgeons had to go in and shave down my bone because the bony impingements actually tore my labrum. So wow. that was fun. <laughs> that sounds like awful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah. But way to like be resilient. Uh, you're a spin instructor, yoga instructor. Look at you go. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you. So what is your little five-month-old's name? Her name's Halston. Oh, that is such a beautiful name. Thank you. Oh, she's sleeping. I always like the developmental psychology. Like, how's your baby doing? <laughs> it's so interesting to me. And I will talk anyone's ear off to anyone who asks about sleep. So she started sleeping through the night at four weeks old. And we hit a little bit of a regression every time. Like my husband, he travels obviously a lot. So whenever he leaves, she stays up all night long. And oh. we just have little slumber parties. But I'm surprisingly functioning pretty well with the sleep deprivation. So okay, okay. I'm just going to keep riding that positivity. <laughs> Absolutely. It'll get better. It'll get better. You're doing, yes. you're doing fantastic. Thank you. Of course. Um, what inspired you to get into dietetics and especially specialize in female athlete nutrition, because that is such a specialized field and a much needed field. Very much so. So I, became interested in nutrition when I was 14. I say that I grew up on a diet of chicken nuggets, French fries, and mac and cheese. So I definitely was not interested in nutrition at all, unless it tasted good, but I got really interested in running when I was 14. And I have a very much, which has its positives and negatives, like all or nothing personality. So when I became obsessed with running, I wanted to do everything possible to succeed. And I was trying to go about it a good way, just uneducated decisions. Um, I just really cut down calories and I would eat just Caesar salads. And I ended up getting um, several series of really bad tibial stress fractures. 
and had no idea why. And it was pretty odd for a 14 year old girl. Like I was doing low mileage to have this happen. So I did a ton of my own research and realized that I was struggling with, um, female athlete triad because that honest start with trying to eat healthier definitely turned into disordered eating, if not a full-blown eating disorder. Um, just very restrictive. I became scared of calories. Um, not good. So once I discovered that I had this, I became passionate about fueling myself in a healthy way. And ever since then, um, food has been very interesting to me from a medicinal perspective. And yeah, it's been one of my biggest passions ever since I've struggled with that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing. And that's so hard. And like that all or nothing mindset, it's so real, especially in both athletes and people with eating disorders. We all have that personality trait. That's very, just much like I want to do everything I can. And like, sometimes it's like unintentional and sometimes it's intentional. And that's really how red S or the female athlete triad really develops. So, um, yeah, that's hard. Did you overcome that? Like, I know you said you got a little bit of help, but like, how did you overcome that? And do you feel like you're recovered now? So it's actually very interesting. So when, when I was like 14, 15, um, my doctors didn't formally diagnose me, but like I had, um, primary care physician and an orthopedist and I kind of presented my case to them almost. And they're like, yeah, sounds like you have it. And that was kind of that. So I would say I struggled with that for two or three more years, just on and off. Um, and then in college, like I sought um, help from a registered dietitian and she actually, which this is a whole other sector. That's just so interesting to me. She, um, said that I was like displaying like traits of anorexia athletica, which definitely makes sense. But also, um, bulimia in the sense that purging can be done, not just through vomiting or laxatives, but it can also be through, um, exercise. So exercise bulimia is something I struggled with, like my very early years in college, just matching whatever I ate to going on the Stairmaster and things like that. So I've been, um, throughout different phases, I've saw help from registered dietitian and a therapist, but I think that, um, I would say that I'm recovered for the most part. I mean, I think as you know, like everyone still struggles with, you know, thoughts and it's just a matter of like how you act on them and stuff. So it's something that's made me stronger, I would say. So, yeah. Absolutely. Those are also two really important points to bring up that I've literally never touched on on this podcast before is anorexia athletica and then um, bulimia. And bulimia is not just purging, yes, through like laxatives or anything. Like purging can look like anything. It can look like exercise. And I think that's such an underrated, like, or not underrated, but like underdiagnosed. Um, it's not like in the DSM five, right. I have like thing, right. Right. Here. It's kind of, um, I would say it's like as new, look at you with the DSM. <laughs> so, <laughs> she just pulled out the book in case anyone, but, um, I would say it's kind of on not the same spectrum as orthorexia, but in terms of, um, being acknowledged, like you, like, I'm sure, you know, like it's typically just generic, like anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. And then I think it's OSFED. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure that these are officially um, recognized in the DSM-5. No, they should. They're working on the DSM-6. And I do think that they should include this, these in specifiers, just because it is like so real. And so it's 
true and it's so pertinent and people don't realize like oh I might be struggling with bulimia if I'm eating and then I'm overcompensating for exercise so yeah I was shocked I like when she told me that I thought she was crazy for a little bit but then I realized like it was affecting like my relationships like I struggled to maintain relationships because I was always always needing to go to the gym or like I didn't want to go eat out and all of this stuff. So it's very serious. And I think that, um, one issue, obviously there's lots of issues with it, but it can be like, I was praised and like, to this day, like I am still like praised for my exercise and like, what's crazy is now it's in a very healthy, like balanced manner that I exercise, but I was praised just as much when I was going three hours of cardio a day and barely eating anything. So that's something that I think makes it a bit addictive is that positive feedback that you receive. 100%. And that is one of the biggest reasons why eating disorders are so hard to shake is because we constantly get that positive reinforcement from the environment. And then also like when we exercise, um, going into a little bit of like terms of like conditioning, right. We have this negative feeling of feeling after you eat something and you feel guilty for it. And you want to avoid that feeling. You want to take that feeling away. And so exercising, it's almost like a negative reinforcement because you're taking something away that's uncomfortable to like reinforce your exercising. So not only when you exercise after eating something guilty, if you're struggling, you know, it takes away those sad feelings or like those scary feelings, but it also gets praised. So you're getting such heavy reinforcement for engaging in these behaviors. And that's why it's so hard to shake these things in this culture. Um, it's difficult. That's why, you know, living in America can be hard sometimes. 100%. That's why talking about this stuff is so important. So absolutely. And I do think it's so valuable that you're using your own story and own experience in your career to help other people, because it's just, it's so needed in this field. So thank you. Yeah, of course. So you did mention that you tend to work with female athletes um, and that's what you specialize in. What are some of the common nutrition problems that you observe in female athletes or in your clients? Okay. So in um, female athletes, I would say just like from my schooling, this is something that kind of opened up my eyes because being an endurance runner, you know, um, we're typically not scared of carbs, but however, there's a huge misinterpretation of carbohydrates and who needs them and who doesn't. So I could go into the biochemistry, but it's, it's a lot, but basically we all need them athletes or not. And it's also a misconception that cutting carbs means that you are going to, you know, like change your physique and like shred weight, um, and things like that. It's vital for performance. We all need them. It's just different amounts and percentages. And that's where registered dietitians are so helpful and they can kind of pinpoint for you. Um, if you are needing advice, um, like what percentage, but generically, um, low, low carbs is not good. And then I would say the other issue, which I struggle with on and off is iron deficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's very complex in how to tackle it. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the, what we are talking about currently under fueling, um, reds and female athlete triad, just running on an energy deficit in general is huge, huge issue with female athletes. Yeah, for sure. No, those are some very, very pertinent issues, especially with the iron. I struggle with low iron too, and it's hard. Um, but yeah, no, those are some good things. What would you say, I guess, like do a majority of female athletes right now intentionally or unintentionally under fuel, or would you say there's a pretty even mix of both? I would say that there is without like knowing like hard statistics or anything, I would say there's probably a pretty good mix 
of both, but I have seen just from like an athlete perspective, like growing up and stuff, a lot of it is unintentional. Um, you have to remember, like, if you are going about your day, just like activities of daily living, like fueling for that is so incredibly different than high intensity exercise. And it can get a bit complex. And then oftentimes we do need a little bit, um, of guidance with how to do that so we can perform at an optimal level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is, that is huge. There's definitely that balance, but then of course, like we were talking about, it gets, even if you do unintentionally under fuel, it can cause an eating disorder because you get all that reinforcement. So exactly. And that's kind of how it happened, how it started with me, I would say. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah, absolutely. Um, so could you touch a little bit more on get, I guess, what is the female athlete triad? Because right now it's known as red S and, um, well, one, we could talk about the symptoms of both, right? Do you know why there was that switch from the female athlete triad to red S and what those symptoms are? Yes, I do. So it was, I think it was in 2014, the international, um, Olympic committee, they created red S, which is relative energy deficiency in sport. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's simply just an extension beyond the female athlete triad. So backtracking a bit, the triad consists, it's an interrelationship. So it's on a continuum. Um, it's a relationship between energy availability. So how many calories you're taking in versus how many calories you are burning menstrual function. So, um, with Emma and Ariel, are you receiving or receiving? I don't know. Are you getting your normal period? Um, what is that menstrual function like? And then bone mineral density. So that's where a lot of, especially, um, runners will see issues with osteopenia, osteoporosis, stress fractures. So those are just, um, three symptoms. However, the international Olympic committee recognized, okay, well, some athletes, they may not have all three or they have symptoms far beyond, you know, such as iron deficiency we touched on. So red S is simply just an extension beyond that. And it touches on many more symptoms. Yes. Okay, great. And I also heard that another thing was that like men can have it too. Um, but like that's very true. And so it's more inclusive, I would say, because I think they definitely fly under the radar, especially, um, with diagnosing like the triad, like menstrual function, I would say like, that's one of the first things to go when you cut the calories period is typically spotty or gone. Um, so men it's, it's a little trickier and they do have bigger, like not healthier, but they have, um, more substantial bone mass. So it's less likely and less common to see stress fractures in them. So that's why red S is so helpful in including them on this continuum of symptoms so that that way get lost in the mix. Absolutely. I love that point that you brought up about like, you know, it's hard to sometimes notice that like, cause I mean, a lot of people will be like, oh, you don't have a period. Like you might have red S, but it's also like, well, what about our boys? Like, how do we know that they're under fueling if they don't get stress factors, if they don't have their period, um, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, so I know that also a lot of symptoms of red S, you know, like fatigue, lack of energy, um, maybe even a missing period or, um, just 
anything like just, you know, bodily like dysfunction almost. And that can almost occur too from just overtraining or from like excess stress in your life. Um, you know, if you look at like reasons why amenorrhea might happen, it's because one, you could be under feeling or you could be under a lot of stress or maybe you're not sleeping enough. So if somebody's struggling with maybe some of the symptoms of red S, um, how can they differentiate between like, oh, this is under feeling or maybe I'm overtraining or maybe I'm under a lot of stress. So this is definitely a tough one. And I would say it's really important to know that under eating, over exercising, over training, those are all huge stressors on the body. Mm -hmm. So this can definitely be a combination of many things, but I would say the, obviously the first thing to do would be to eliminate that stressor stressor. Mm -hmm. So with under fueling, um, some of the things you would want to look out for are prolonged recovery, fatigue, increased injury rate decreased performance. And so to, that's also similar symptoms to overtraining, however, um, and high stress. So I would consider meeting with a sports dietitian blood work also. So not talked about enough, just your generic blood work and athletes. Um, there are some more specific ones that such as ferritin for, um, your iron panel, for example, that can be really helpful. So I would say if you can tackle your diet and either meet with a dietitian if you're comfortable or simply see if there's an energy balance. And if that is taken care of, um, take a look at your training, but overall, um, cortisol is our stress hormone and it's scientifically proven to prolong that recovery process. So that's automatically going to skyrocket your risk of injury and illness. So mm -hmm. definitely hard to differentiate, but cortisol can wreak havoc on your body. So definitely try to eliminate the source. Yes, absolutely. Cortisol is like, it's so hard because it's like the enemy of like our hormones and like the enemy of our um, neurotransmitters and everything. But at the same time, like we need it for like certain functions in our body, but like our, the problem is, is that like a little bit of cortisol during certain times of stress, right? Like if you're about to compete or something or take an exam, like it's good, but then like in our country, like you know, studies have shown time and time again, like our brains don't get a break from cortisol because we're always like having to be productive, be at work, be at school, all these high expectations. And so it's really wrecking havoc on our bodies and it can be really hard to recover from red S and under feeling too with all that cortisol. And then cortisol also leads to this like downstream effect, you know, it increases inflammation and um, it can like these things called like pro-inflammatory cytokines. They can like cross into our blood brain barrier and cause all this neural inflammation. And then at least like mental health issues. And it's just like one little like elevation in cortisol can have so many downstream effects on our body. And then it, sometimes it tells like our hypothalamus, like, um, you're not safe to like have your period right now. So it's just like, exactly. I think you touched on like a great point and like with the hypothalamus. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people don't really realize like they, like a lot of people know that your period is like correlated somehow. Like if I exercise more, I'm probably going to lose it. But it's really scary to realize that your body telling you, I don't feel safe. I'm not in a place where I could like essentially like grow a baby. And that's what, you know, your period is essentially for. It's a marker of so many, so many good things, but fertility is one of them. So if your body does not feel safe, that's a red flag. Yes. Absolutely. It's saying alert, alert, something's wrong. Um, like we, it's just, I mean, like your body can't tell the difference between running for fun and running from a bear. And 
it's kind of funny because our cortisol levels are like the same. Um, but like, we also experience, you know, the more positive benefits of running, you know, like those, like that runner's high and like the mental release, but it's also like, it still is a stressor on the body. And so it's something to be mindful of too. So, and sometimes if you stress it too much and you don't feel it right, then it's like, I don't feel safe. So yeah. Yeah. Good points. Um, so we talked a little bit about like the symptoms of underfeeling, just like the classic ones, like low bone density, maybe missing period fatigue. What are, do you know, like any rare signs that maybe aren't talked about as much, but are also symptoms of red S? So there are some that, I mean, I'm very familiar with it. So I would say like, I'm, they're common for me, but like from the outside perspective, some things that are red flags, and this also correlates to many like nutrient deficiencies, et cetera. I would look for like, um, pale complexion, um, some purplish under eyes or around the eyes. So like, that's a sign of, um, iron deficiency. A huge one is honestly performance in academics or work and brain function. So brain fog is so underrated because you could attribute it to so many things, but it also is really correlated with red S. So a lot of, and then with the brain fog comes irritability, maybe a little bit of, um, withdrawal from social situations, just fatigue and wanting to rest all of the time, things that you might attribute to, I'm just stressed. Or if you're in school, like it's just this semester, like, oh, chem is really kicking my butt or something like that. But it really could be attributed to your training and your feeling. Yeah, definitely. No, those are such good points. And like, I really like how you brought up like, oh, we can, it's so easy to attribute this to like, oh, it's just a class that's stressing me out. But it's like, no, maybe you're not feeling right, um, either intentionally or unintentionally. So those are some really good signs to look out for. So if anybody is experiencing those and you might think you might be underfeeling, like just signs to pay attention to for sure. Um, so how can somebody distinguish, I guess, the line between red S, maybe they're underfeeling and like a full-blown eating disorder. How does one kind of prevent that from occurring if they think they may be underfeeling or um, kind of go, I mean, if they realize, oh, maybe I do have a full-blown eating disorder instead of red S, what is your advice for that? So I would say the first thing is to realize there's um, a difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating. So someone with disordered eating, it might be your friend who forgets to eat until 6 PM every day, but there's no thought behind it. Um, that's just disordered eating. That's not normal. That's not regular, but she's not intentionally restricting. She's thinking of other things, whatever you have it. Um, an eating disorder is intentional. Yes. Um, and it's a clinical diagnosis. And you can also have disordered eating, which borders the, um, symptomatology, I guess you could say for an eating disorder, but it's not meeting the full criteria. So since it is a spectrum, like you have to realize, like, even if you don't meet all the qualifications and you're on the brink, like it's still very serious and you definitely should seek help and support. Um, however, like going back to red S this might be a result of just lack of education. Again, fueling an athlete, it's so much more complex than we realize. like the post-workout nutrition, what should that look like? What should the ratio of carbs to proteins? It's not something that comes naturally to us for fueling at those high, high levels. It's a science. It really is. And that's completely fine. So that's a, a big, um, part of the problem. However, 
like we were talking about earlier, like that all or nothing type A personality is very prevalent in sports. And those personalities do typically suffer from eating disorders a bit more just from those perfectionistic tendencies. So they um, also can coexist mm-hmm. so eating disorders and red S. And yeah. if you are an athlete with a restrictive type eating disorder or an eating disorder in general, I would definitely suggest to seek um, help from registered dietitian, psychologist, or therapist, whatever you have it. There's many terms. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. And then a primary care provider. So that's typically like a treatment team will consist of those. And then obviously like you can go up um, to residential treatment, whatever, but typically like I would say if you are someone who is very concerned, reach out to your primary care physician because they, with insurance and everything, like they can probably find in-network providers for you. And then blood work, like I talked about earlier, is so important. Like, let's see like what the status of your body is telling you. Um, and then really quick tangent on collegiate sports. Typically um, your athletic trainer should have some good resources to your, your coach. There are people out there who want to support you. So the first thing to do is to speak up and seek that help and do not have any shame about it. In fact, like you should be proud that this is just you taking charge of your health and of your body. If you have strep throat, you're going to get antibiotics. It's no different and it should not be treated any different. I love that. Exactly. If you have strep throat, you got to take antibiotics. If you have red S, you got to take your food. (laughs) I love that. Just like you brought up in the beginning, like food as medicine, like sometimes like we don't always want to take it, especially after like a hard workout and our stomachs might be hurting. But like, you know, that like in order to make my body feel better, in order to stay healthy, I got to drink this protein shake right now or whatever. And so I love that view. Like food is medicine. And even when we don't want to take it, we know we have to, because it'll make us feel better and be healthy. Exactly. Yeah. Those are some really good points. Um, do you think that somebody has to stop exercising completely to recover from red S if they think that they have red S? So I feel like this is such a case by case basis. It totally depends. First of all, is evaluate your relationship with exercise. Yeah. So speaking from experience, my personal experience in the past was definitely an abusive relationship. And I think in that sense for me, like I needed to stop cold Turkey because if exercise becomes a coping mechanism, you need to find other outlets and you need more than anything, your body is under so much stress right now. You need to recover. So even if you do have a healthy relationship, I would say lowering your training load or stopping it completely will probably heal up this recovery process. However, it's completely dependent on your specific situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and depending on your symptoms, this is where it gets very serious. Like if your bone density is an issue, stopping weight bearing activities such as running is probably recommended. And again, seizing exercise is definitely the quickest way to get your period back. If you're dealing with amenorrhea or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you did like at first, like disclose, like this is definitely a case by case basis, but for sure, I definitely think it is important to like, at least when you're recovering from this, if at minimum, like decrease a little, but of course, like if, any of you are struggling with this out there, like seek help, seek a professional um, who can really evaluate you um, in your unique situation. So yeah, thank you also for sharing and bringing that into like your personal experience and everything, um, both from professional and personal light. So for sure. 
Um, how long would you say that Redis recovery typically takes? And like, what does it look like? I'm, of course, it's going to be like a case by case basis again, but like, right. yeah. Well, the recovery, like I mentioned earlier, it's probably going to consist, like if you reach out, um, obviously there's some people who have had success, you know, doing it on their own, but if you are talking about a traditional like clinical standpoint, it's going to consist of that triad again, triad comes up of that healthcare team. So that primary care provider, they're simply going to just look at your health from a clinical standpoint in terms of labs, weight, blood pressure. That was one thing I wanted to touch on really quick is heart rate and blood pressure are also, um, underrated symptoms of red S. So if you have a very low resting heart rate, low blood pressure, that could be a red flag. I forgot to mention that, but anyways, um, so your primary care physician is probably going to order a lab workup to look at things like iron, calcium, vitamin D Uh bone, bone density scan. And then a dietitian is going to specifically help you with that nutrition aspect. And then a mental health professional, um, can help with therapy. But in terms of, you mentioned the length of the recovery, it is a spectrum, but, um, I can give you some facts. So with bone mineral density, um, we, this is so scary to me. We build bone mineral density and we peak at this in our twenties. And this actually breaks my heart. Like I get choked about it because I was making decisions as an uneducated 14 year old that are affecting me now, um, in terms of my bone density, Um, and this can take a very long time to recover from, and it can progress in osteoporosis Mm -hmm. and an athlete with amenorrhea. So this is an athlete who has lost, um, her period for a specific amount of time. She can lose up to 5% of bone mineral density per year. And that's scary. And so, um, so 90% of your bone mass is achieved by the end of adolescence. So with all this tangent, with all this being said, recovery can be very long because stress fractures can take six to 12 weeks to heal from, and you are building that bone, um, density into your twenties. So the most important takeaway I would say is that recovery is not a one size fits all focus on your lab work levels and how you feel physically. The numbers definitely don't lie. Yeah, absolutely. No, that is super important, super important. And it's so sad to think that like a lot of like the decisions we make, you know, when we don't know what we're doing can really affect our health. So yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And you did mention low heart rate and blood pressure. Is there any way you could put some numbers to those for people who might be wondering? So I don't know. Um, so don't quote me on this, but I'm, I know for a fact that athletes typically, especially endurance athletes have lower resting heart rates. Yep. Um, but I, I, I know it's, um, lower for, I'm pretty sure it's lower for men as well. So I wouldn't like compare the two. They're not equal, but if you are having, um, blood pressure that is below, I think it's 120 over 80, 120 over. Yeah. 120. That is like your ideal blood pressure. Now, if you're like seeping like lower than that and you're concerned, I would definitely, um, keep tabs on that and check on that. And then if your heart rate is dipping into, you know, like maybe forties, low thirties, that's definitely a concern. For sure. For sure. And it's like, it's funny. I mean, like Mike, Mike, Michael Phelps, his heart rate was like 34 or whatever. And it's like, Oh my gosh. But then he was like eating so much. And so it's also like hard because physicians are like, Oh, is your low heart rate due to, because you run like 40 miles a week? Yes, for sure. Or is it because you're under feeling? So yeah, that is super, super helpful to know. And like super, super important. I think with that too, um, I would take into things like, um, orthostatic issues. So are you standing up and getting really dizzy? Are you feeling faint during the day? 
or if you're functioning completely fine, you know, every body's physiologically different. That could just be you or your training. So definitely take into account other symptoms. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Um, so we did touch a little bit on iron levels. Um, how does red S influence iron levels? Um, or if maybe how are iron levels impacted by sports in general, even if you don't have red S? Okay. So specifically through running or sports where your foot is just hitting that ground over and over. I just nerd out over this. I think it's so cool. There's something called foot strike hemolysis. So red blood cells are literally destroyed through your feet. And this is why you, um, one of the many reasons you see iron issues in runners. So iron is what is responsible to transport that oxygen into your body and it's an energy metabolism. Yeah. So one thing that is really important to focus on with this is the sources of iron you're getting. So Heme mm-hmm. iron is meat in meat and it's the richest, most bioavailable source. Um, and one issue that, um, athletes really see is the fact that they might not be consuming a lot. So you will have lower iron and when iron is low, you're going to have performance issues. So I would say if you are having performance issues, that is the number one thing to get checked. And not only that, but ferritin. Yes. Super important. Super important. Um, so what would you say some symptoms are of low iron and how can we prevent low iron? Okay. So with low iron, the number one thing you're going to notice in terms of sports is low performance, decreased recovery time and Outside of sports, you're going to see that brain fog again, as you can see, a lot of these symptoms are very much similar and overlapping. So that's why it's so, so important to get your blood work done every year, everyone. But, um, also some physical symptoms you can see on your skin is the purplish under eyes, brittle nails that break really easily. Mm -hmm. You can experience hair loss, thinning of hair, um, and then decreased performance in school as well. So, and then increased injury rate too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so would you recommend like, if somebody thinks that they're low iron, like taking supplements, um, or if they do find out that they're low iron. So with iron supplementation, there is such thing as having iron toxicity. So you can build up iron into toxic levels. So if you were to take a vitamin C supplement every day, uh-huh. That is a water soluble vitamin. You're going to excrete the excess through your urine. So there's a very low risk. Iron's not like that. Iron will continue to build up. So mm-hmm. I would definitely not recommend supplementation okay. unless you have the okay from mm-hmm. your dietitian or your doctor after you get that baseline of blood work done. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might even prescribe you nothing or um, a very high prescription dose. I've been on very high doses that you can only get from a physician okay. and there's specific more bioavailable forms of iron as well. So you really want to take iron seriously. Okay. Yes, absolutely. For sure. Um, no, that's really good advice. 
would you say that like recovery in general from red S or maybe low iron or whatever somebody might be struggling with nutritional deficiency wise, do you think it mostly, I mean, it basically just depends on calories and exercise or what other components of red S recovery are there besides, you know, meeting with the triad of the team and like, right. Exactly. (laughs) So I would say, um, the first thing you can do in terms of nutrition, like without even meeting with a dietitian is just to have like a basic understanding of energy expenditure in relation to your training, you know, your body better than everyone else. So once you understand like, okay, this is like, take a step back. Like this is what my training looks like. This is what I'm currently eating. You Mm -hmm. might have a good, um, indicator on if you're getting enough or not. So Um, and so education is obviously prevention. So just educating yourself on that for sure. But I would also say, depending on where you come from in your background and your relationship with food and, um, working out exercise, definitely try to your best to find hobbies. It's so hard. It's easier than done, like outside of your sport or whatever. And especially if you have that all or nothing personality, I would say find other things. Um, I've been finding that like readings really helping me. I'm into those Colleen Hoover books. They're awesome. So, (laughs) so good. So like finding something, um, and then on that same note, like finding like some friends or people to talk to who are just like, yeah, not in sports. I think with sports, like in being on teams and stuff, we are constantly surrounded like people who Mm -hmm. are like, so like find some people who challenge you to think a little differently and rest and really focus on remember cortisol is your stress hormone what are some things you can do to lower that so um that's what I would say (laughs) that is fantastic advice I love 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 the advice of getting out and finding people who aren't athletes when you're doing this sometimes like yes have your athlete friends and have them support you in this um but also like a lot of it when you take down exercise, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be hard. And like, you know, as a, as a very active person, it can be hard to like think in a different mentality that like a normal non-active person might be. Right. And so, um, even like the other day I was like, you know, I'm used to being very active. And so another classmate said to me, um, she was just like sitting at the desk. She's like, I just realized I've only moved like once today. She's like, the only exercise I get is walking to my car from this office. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like some people, they are just completely sedentary like this. And it's like their norm. And I'm like, yeah, like, oh my gosh. Like that's so, I mean, like, it's not like bad. It's like how she loves to live. And I'm like, awesome. And so it's always good to be like, it can be hard when you're an athlete to just like, remember that like every, like a majority of the population doesn't go out and run like three to six miles per day, um, or like lift weights and stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, there's more to life besides your sport. Um, and besides like your activity and your fueling and stuff. And I think that's super great advice just to be like, Hey, like let's go hang out and like bake cookies and stuff instead of going for a run or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, that's really good advice. (laughs) Thank you. I think another thing with that too, Um, is also like, those are all like great things, like finding people who challenge you. I know myself, like after doing some self-reflection, I was like, I was really wearing blinders, like up until like the middle of my college years. And like, I had missed out on like this whole other side of life. And I, I wouldn't say I felt immature, but there were things like in life that I just had never experienced because I was married to running like 
running mm-hmm. was like my literal husband. Like I was obsessed with it yeah. and I closed off so many opportunities. So meeting so many different people, like traveling to so many places. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, I think it's also important to, um, and this also relates to like any issue people can experience, like uncovering the source and looking at the why, like, why is this happening? Yeah. And you could say, Oh, I'm overtraining, under eating, but what's driving you to that point? Yeah. So. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. The psychologist in me loved that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <a lot of laughs> times, like it really is like I, right now I'm being trained in a more psych. I mean, I'm being trained in every sort of therapy, like CBT, DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, ACT, all these other things, ERP. But my primary focus is going to go into psychodynamics and like figuring out what are those underlying emotions. And a lot mm-hmm. of times the overtraining and underfueling, like if you find yourself like needing to overtrain to feel fulfilled, you are trying to avoid emotion. You are trying to suppress an emotion and that is going to hurt you physically and mentally. And there is something else going on that you are not wanting to address. Um, and you are using, um, your exercise or your restriction as a means to that. And it's the same exact, you know, neural pathways as like an addiction or a full-blown eating disorder. And it's, I mean, some people respond in an adaptive way, but like when it goes to the extreme, it can be really hard. Like exercise, fantastic coping skill. Like I running is like, it helps keep me sane. Like I love it. And like exercise, I feel so strong, you know, gets me out, but then it's like, also you have to have other coping skills because it's not you can't be addicted to it. You can't, I mean, it happens like you shouldn't be. And what emotions are you trying to avoid? What things are you not wanting to process? So I just like, I love that you brought that up. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's always so fun talking about like the nutrition and the psychology behind like everything like that. So yeah. It's so important to talk about too, because I think when you are in a hard training block or honestly, this applies to anything in life. Like I talked about that, like hard semester earlier, like you have blinders on, you have short-term vision. Yeah. This is a lot, like it might sound simple, but yeah. this is red S is a lot more complex and it's so much bigger than you realize and it should be taken seriously, but a lot of people might brush it off or just see it as like a normal part of life. So yep, 100%, 100%. And it should not be that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I guess to wrap things up, um, are you accepting clients if people want to work with you? And if so, how can they contact you? Yes. So in the spring of next year, I'm a little tied up with my baby girl right now, but I am able to do order some um, lab work and do all of that analysis specifically like for athletes that I talked about earlier. I don't know if you've heard of like the Dutch test that analyzes hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am offering that in relation to nutrition. So I would say the best way to get that set up is my Instagram is at the femme sports source and you can send me a message, DM email there, and I can get you set up with that. So yeah, that is awesome. And I will link all of her like social media and stuff down below. So you can get in contact with her because if you guys, any of you are struggling out there, um, or you feel like you might resonate with some of these signs of red S or disordered eating or exercise addiction, um, you should, I highly suggest that you reach out for help, um, both, you know, from see the triad, if you're struggling with the triads, you know, a doctor, um, a nutritionist and a 
a psychologist or therapist because it really will. Um, that's you really need a multidisciplinary team here. So don't hesitate to reach out um, if you find yourself struggling. Um, and fun closing question. What is your favorite breakfast food? And today I'm switching it up. I usually do morning routine, but I assumed with your five month old, it might be a little bit more up and down right now. <laughs> right. She starts like making singing sounds at 5am. So it oh. changes every day, <laughs> but <laughs> let's see. I've been doing something fun for breakfast. Just like with our routine right now, like she gets up so early that I'm not mm-hmm. wanting breakfast, but you know, yeah. your cortisol is highest in the morning. Like it's good to get something in your stomach. So I treat it as more of like a pre-workout snack Mm -hmm. and I've been doing, it's simple, but I love it. Rice cakes with peanut butter, chia seeds, cinnamon, and banana. And then I will pop on my Peloton later. And then like, I guess you could say my real breakfast, it's a tried and true protein smoothie. I always feel better about myself if I get a little bit of greens in. Yeah. Protein powder is not necessary, but I always say it's if if you need it, like in a time crunch, and I definitely do. It's awesome. So, so yummy! (laughs) I love both of those things. The rice cakes with peanut butter, honey. Oh my gosh, my favorite! It's the best. So it like digests really nicely. It's love it. Love it. That's awesome. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for coming on today. We learned so much from you and it was so great to just have a conversation about this and like integrate everything that we talked about. So, um, thank you again. It was awesome talking with you. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. And I will link all of her social media down below.